the work before us is as vast and as complex as creation itself. And so I wish to start with three or four questions that came up yesterday because they connect well to the processes of integral yoga and the change. The first question, of course, is about the growing darkness which some of us or many of us perceive in the world. Sometimes it seems that the world is hurtling towards its doom and one wonders, how does all this connect to the change to the golden dream that we have seen? Well, every day we are taught this by nature itself. All night is the beginning of a new dawn, a greater dawn, a better dawn. All death and destruction is also the presage of the birth of a new life. The seed of creation casts itself in the womb of darkness and out of it comes a fully developed human baby or a little plant which opens towards the light. This applies also to group life. Group life goes through its own ups and downs, whether it be national life or life of a social, religious, spiritual group. And if it has its strength within, its soul is intact, then it bounces back, enriched by the lessons of the night. And if it has outlived its purpose, then it collapses back and out of its scattered material, something else emerges. Darkness also has an enriching effect. The mother speaks about it, that there was never a moment more threatening than the first moment of creation when suddenly that single point of light, fathomless point, concentrated, burst forth into a million, million stars. It is the first action of darkness. Darkness cleaving the light. And what we see is a garland or a necklace of lights on the body of the unseen. It's so beautiful. Every night we see it. Something which we don't see in the, in the light. So this is part of the process. Civilizations end and collapse just as group life goes, goes through change, civilizations end and collapse, plunge into darkness. Sometimes they vanish from the eyes. We know that so many times, so many civilizations have collapsed. It's not the first time that we are facing this danger. Science tells us that this is the sixth time that we are on the verge of extinction. And occultists tell us that this is the seventh time that we are on the verge of extinction. That's the difference. And yet the beauty is that there is something deep inside, buried like in a want, a need, a memory, an urge, which re-emerges out of that, builds itself like the phoenix. And that's the beauty of this creation. That's the beauty of a life, that there is in it something indestructible that refuses to give in and give way. I would say it is also the sign of a manhood. The sign that the soul is awake in us. Very often people ask, what is the sign that 
one has found one's soul. Of course, the mother gave a very beautiful answer that when you find it, you don't ask it. So true. And as long as we ask it, we have not found it. So true. But also there are signs. One such sign is a faith that nothing shakes. The soul has that faith. Several times it has assumed new forms and names and carried on with the great adventure. So it knows that all darkness is a temporary passage. And a will that refuses to give up even when it is surrounded by everything that is adverse. The soul has that, that kind of an indomitable will and faith. And it bounces back again and again on life. Individuals also go through in this process of change what the Vedic Rishi is called as the night and the dawn. And they used a very beautiful expression. They said both of these are like the two mothers that suckle the divine child. So light comes to help us grow in, in light, of course, in sweetness, in joy, in beauty, in wonder, in splendor. And night comes to give us strength. Would there be a Ramayana without Ravana? Rama would be half his measure. So Ravana comes to challenge so that Rama may grow to its fullness. So the sadhakas also go through all these ups and downs. Very often, sometimes we see some finished products of the past and we say, ah, here was one, what a wonderful sadhaka. Ask their life and they would say, yes, we all went through and go through several ups and downs. But what are these? They are passages. Shubhindo says in Savitri, for winding through hell turns the heavenward path and none can reach heaven who has not passed through hell. This is the passage of the journey. Every time we see every night, this is a wonderful example, that during the day we are active, we progress, we grow, but in the process of progress and growth, we accumulate lot of toxins and waste products in the body. So there has to be a process to eliminate it. So what happens at night? In night, all these toxins are eliminated. We become lighter and we wake up once again for a renewed effort. This is exactly what happens at night. Much of the poison that has accumulated in the course of our journey through life. And who can deny that the world as it is today has a lot of poison in it. We talk about pollution and we are worried about, you know, the particles uh, in the dust. We are worried about the lead content and MSG in Maggi noodles. And yes, we should be worried about it, no doubt about it. But we are still not worried about the gross pollutants which uh, are there in the human mind. Bitterness, anger, greed, lust. And as long as these are there, we may breathe a clean air, but we won't breathe a clean environment. We won't breathe a clean atmosphere. Our life will be plagued and haunted by all kinds of ills. So night comes so that all this can be clarified. And we see the lessons of two great wars. The first great war at the turn of the century, interestingly, while Shurbindo was 
busy showing the seeds of light in the human soil, darkness was tilling the same soil in the form of the first great war. And its effect for the first time in the human mind, there rose a cry for union, for unity. The League of Nations was born. What else? For the first time, feminism took a new form. Men were dying and suddenly humanity realized the worth of women. They are strong, they can drive ambulances, they can go to the war front. It was of course an exigency, but for the first time it emerged to the forefront. Yes, many things, good things, beautiful things also collapsed. But surely they were not perfect things. The good is good, but not yet the ultimate good. So that's why we have to pass through again and again. And in the process of this evolutionary journey, if somebody is expecting a very smooth, non-bumpy ride, then one is living in a lotus-eating land and a dream world. It's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is that when one confronts the real yoga, in real time and space. Yoga is a real journey. It's not an abstraction. Abstractions are philosophies. Yoga is a real journey in real time and space. It is full of unexpectedness. And this unexpectedness is the challenge thrown by life. That's why the future's face is concealed from man. We would be paralyzed. If you imagine before we enter into yoga, we are shown all that is going to come. You may say, no, 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 this is not my cup of tea. It's not like that. Everyone has to pass through. and That is the measure of our soul's strength. In fact, every time we emerge, we are more confident, we are stronger, we are closer to the divine in many other ways than we would be only when it is through the light. Sometimes when everything is taken away, every support, every base, every plank, every piece of carpet literally pulled out from below our feet, that is the time when we are ready for the divine embrace. Who holds us then when everything is gone except the slender string of faith and the embrace of the divine? Would we not want it? And if we want it, we have to be prepared for it. As I said yesterday, he is a very jealous God. So he makes sure that everything is sometimes taken away so that he can hold us, mold us, restructure us. We cling to things. We cling to ourselves. We cling to our habits. We cling to our tendencies. We cling to people. We cling to ideas. We cling to emotions. We cling to our impulsions of life. We cling to our desires, wishes, hopes. But all that man can conceive even as the highest wish and hope is still nothing compared to what is yet to come. It leads us to a certain extent in life, but a time comes when we must get rid of all that. That's why when mother was asked, what is it that people should have or practice? You know, we talk about practice of this yoga. So what is it they should do to really walk this path? She said two things. One is, do not cling. So, you know, there are very interesting examples. And there was somebody who had read Sri several works and wanted to come to the ashram. And uh, 
he asked for permission and mother said no, no, no. This carried on for a few years, six years. So he said, you know, I really want to come and mother is saying no. So one of the disciples said, doesn't matter. You know, there are always well-meaning disciples, like well-meaning doctors, who end up doing <laughs> unwittingly. They are good intention people. I can say that, you know, as a doctor. Doctors are good intention, most of them. But they end up doing harm sometimes because goodwill necessarily doesn't ensure that good will come out of that. So one of the disciples said, doesn't matter, you come. Divine Mother is there. After all, she will, you know, grant you. Earlier, you know, they had to write for darshan and all that. Not realizing the wisdom that operates in rejections. So he came. So as he came, he went to the international guest house and was sitting there. And somebody told him, oh, you have come. Do you have, have you asked for permission? No, 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 I haven't, but I'm sure the mother will give me. Okay, uh, I'll go and check out for you because that's how the process worked. So while he went to contact the ashram secretary to ask that they suddenly somebody who has come and what to do about it, him, he was sitting half an hour and looking here and there. He suddenly saw an, on the wall a fresco of Ajanta. And his mind started wondering, what is this fresco of Ajanta doing on the wall of a guest house of the ashram? And all his minds accumulated dirt and conditioning started getting thrown onto that fresco. That's how we look at world. And after a while, he thought, no, no, this is not the place for me, and went away. So, we have to be prepared. It's, a, it's a not a, and every step, we get prepared, we walk a certain path, and then again, we have to go through another process, and again, we are prepared for the next ascent. That's how the Vedic Krishis described it. So beautifully, and Shobinda has written so beautifully in one of his poems. Hill after hill was climbed, and now the last tremendous brow. A step, and all is sky and God. A hill after hill is climbed. This is how the Vedic Rishis described the journey. Now you see, it's very interesting. How do we climb from one hill to another? What beautiful images they have used for yoga. And it's amazing the kind of images they use. So you climb a hill. Yesterday someone was telling me about this uh, Narada, about Kanchanjanga one sees from Tiger Hill. Now you know when you stand on Tiger Hill and you have a vision of Kanchanjanga as if it's right there. It's so beautiful and amazing. But imagine if you have to, if you suddenly take it to your heart, ah, I wish I could reach there. So what do we have to do? We can't fly. We have to go down and climb again. This is the journey. We climb one hill. Some of us are very comfortable climbing one hill and staying there. We create new comfort zones. But if you want to go further, we have to get down on that hill. Mother speaks about it. Thou hast made me taste successively all the realizations of the past yogas. This is way back. All the realizations of the past yoga she had tasted. And then she had to again renounce them. And then she says, I have understood now what they call in India 
as renouncing the fruits of the yoga. We have heard of renunciations. People renounce material life for the sake of spiritual life. That is actually nothing. It's not a renunciation, it's a very good bargain, honestly. <laughs> because <laughs> once you know what it means to have the contact of the divine, who would not renounce <laughs> this stupidity and madness? One has to be just a little sensible to do it. It's common sense. It's not renunciation at all. Honestly, it's not renunciation. To call it renunciation is an absurdity. But to renounce the efforts of yoga, its experiences, realizations, which can turn us into yogis, gurus, swami, and God knows what. And to become a child once again, a child newborn to the Divine Mother with infinity in front, so that we can once again feel her, touch her, experience her clasp in a new way. That is renunciation. And she speaks about it. Both Mother and Shubindo did it in their life. That's why we are all here. If they wouldn't have done it, just skyrocketed through their own yoga and sadhana, we would not be here talking about yoga or trying to practice it. Mother speaks about it, how she came down to our level, gathering all of us. So, of course, these are beings who have consciously and voluntarily plunged themselves into the night, like Shiva drinking poison. But... Even unconsciously, the same process applies. But to give us heart and hope, we should remember, as I think yesterday we were reading, even when we fail to look into our parts, even when we fail to look into our souls, still we have parts that grow towards the light. Even in night, the journey goes on. We grow 12 hours older or younger, or wiser, whatever we call it, when we are sitting in the flight and we doze off. We are still traveling. That's the beauty of this journey. We may not always understand. The journey is not necessarily the way we desire. Shurabindo reminds us again and again, the way of the infinite Shakti is not the way that human mind would prefer it. So we have to not to cling to our cherished idea, even of what God is, how he will work, how he would act. All these are nothing but images, perceptions. And while it is easy to get rid of the illusion of the world, it's more difficult. And I would say with a certain emphasis to get rid of the illusion of what God is and what God is not. It is also an illusion. We don't realize it. Buddha spent so much time to get humanity rid of this and yet humanity didn't understand so the mother speaks about it in one of her conversations with Buddha it's there documented in prayers and meditation when Buddha comes to her and says I see that diamond in your heart and you are afraid to reveal it to the world because you feel your message will be misunderstood and then he says but when has man ever understood the divine see my own message was also misunderstood. There are people who call him Anatma because he used the word, so Buddha didn't believe in God. No. He knew about the permanent, the absolute very much. But if at all he shattered anything, where the conceptions of God that human minds have created and imposed upon him. Divine is this, or rather better still. Better the divine should be like this, then I will accept him as the divine. 
The mother speaks about this little story where somebody said, I am ready to do whatever the divine wants me to do, except that I will never kill anybody, but well, I know that the divine would never ask me to kill anybody. And the mother asked him, how do you know that? How do you say so? Surrender is not easy. It's easy to talk about surrender and you know say, hey, Mother, I am surrendering myself at your feet. But real surrender, she says, the surrender of your character, of the way of your being. We cling to things and we have to let go of them. We know how Rishab Chanji came from a Jain background. And he was given the first task of killing the bed bugs inside a bed, furniture department. Gory crime, as bad as fighting the Mahabharata war. <laughs> and before this work is assigned to him, he writes a letter to the mother. Mother, I am so grateful you have accepted me and all that. Full of joy and gratitude. But when he gets this assignment, keeps this letter aside. <laughs> now he writes to Shurabindo. Sir, I think mother does not know about you know the Indian culture and our background. So she has given me this job. <laughs> and Shurabindo sends a one-line one reply. Whatever work the mother has given you is meant for your progress. Do it with that spirit. So you have no choice. It's so difficult to surrender. Ravindraji, who would not look at an egg, is given the task of egg service. So he has to give eggs. And the peak of it was something amazing. Some of the mothers, you know, like Mahakali, she cuts upon our conceptions. The vegetarian congress, the world vegetarian congress, once asked the mother for a message. It's really funny and very, very strong, very strong, almost categorical. But it's worth knowing because, you know, it, it's not about the message she gave, but about how we can cling to things. And the mother didn't give any message. So the people asked again, Mother, give us a message. Again, she kept quiet. So again, when she was asked the message through the intercession of a disciple, that Mother, they are very keen for a message. She said, they won't be able to take it. <laughs> she said, when they asked me for the message, what came to me to give them, I have held it back. So what was the message she wanted to give? Stop being fussy and start eating meat. Now, this was a very, very, you know, <laughs> nobody could comprehend that, you know, Divine Mother would give this message. She should have said kudos to you and you are doing a wonderful work for the cause of the world. It's true that it's not, you know, we should not misinterpret Mother's writing that she says we should start, you know, becoming meat lovers. No, she's not saying that. Look at the beauty of the divine action and how subtle it is. She is breaking a mental conception, a barrier which comes between what is and is not, between what can the divine do and cannot do. This is precisely how Arjuna faced the problem. If Krishna had to use this kind of a modern English language and Arjuna said, Sir, give me a message at this moment when I want to take sannyas, probably Krishna would have given exactly same words. Stop being fussy and start killing. He almost said so. But so it, it hits us hard. How can God say something like stop being fussy and start killing? Well, he is not asking us to kill. He is asking us to break a barrier. To step out of our comfort zones. So that we can be plastic. The other day, I think yesterday, Shadhalu was speaking about 
three things consciousness plasticity and surrender so we are not conscious what are the things to which we cling and when they are taken away you know it's a practice in tantra actually many people don't know about it and at least in ujjain i know there are actually tantrics so to get rid of jugupsa the shrinking from certain actions it's called jugupsa and ishupnishad speaks about it in a very beautiful way he who sees the one everywhere tato na vi jugupsate he shrinks from nothing because he is really able to see the divine in everything i mean what we'll read a passage on that so to get rid of this jugupsa they try all kinds of things i mean you'll be shocked for instance eating a dead man's meat they go to this extent gori shri ramakrishna in his life when he had the tantric guru so he was asked to do this and he said i can't do it but you have to do something you can't shrink if you want the absolute truth so he as a simple symbol tasted the human excreta as a symbol because it's a part of a human body now these extremes of experiments the mother doesn't want us to do that she doesn't expect us to do that that's not the part path of this yoga but the shrinking from things equanimity endurance these are not easy things to cultivate surrender is very difficult if you really go to the roots of it it's not about surrendering outer actions that is very easy mother i am going to have a cup of tea i surrender my cup of tea to you <laughs> mother i surrender my morning to you this is a happy surrender or rather happy go lucky surrender <laughs> mother i have a way of thinking and understanding and i surrender it to you now it becomes difficult mother i have certain views and opinions forget about world even about you <laughs> and i surrender them to you mother i have a way of feeling things almost a way of reacting towards life and i surrender it to you then we become malleable in the hands of the divine mother and she begins to mold us these are not that she wants us to inculcate other habits which are no it's not that it's simply that she wants us to break all habits so that she can mold us we are caught in a net of views opinions ideas a form of personality is this personality we have to surrender it is very difficult to do it so she gives us a very simple mantra do not cling and the second she says because if we only follow this one thing do not cling then it can be because human beings create props so that we they don't fall and collapse into total chaos it's not like zen buddhism i don't like to associate the word buddhism with zen so let's just speak about zen where you drop the mind in the hope that you would transcend it probably one transcends 99 fall back it's not that we need props to hold on it's like easy for the human mind to navigate through life we need to say this is my relative that is not my relative this is my friend that is my foe we are not ready to say like shurbindo in my rivals downfall is my own disgrace i look at my enemy and see krishna's face this is we are not yet ready for that so we follow you know it's easy to orient us otherwise we are disoriented in the middle of the ocean but truly speaking is it so easy 
to know where you are in ocean. In a river you can say, yes, this is one bank, that is another. And you are going from here to there. That is the normal yoga. So I often say traditional yoga is like swimming pool, at the best a river. So you are, you have coordinates. Here you start, there you end. And there are steps in the process, stages. But Shurabindu's yoga is like being thrust into the ocean. And you don't know which is left and which is right, which is north and which is south. And which way you have to go. And you are at the mercy of the ocean current. And the ocean current, if you learn to trust, takes us up and down with the waves. Eventually teaches us how to surf. And gives us the panoramic view of whole creation of the entire ocean. That's the delight. It widens us, vastens us. So the other thing which is important, she says, is thirst for light. How simple yoga can be. And then she says, if you have this thirst, then even the extravagances of an American youth are a path. This thirst. Without this thirst, everything is meaningless. Takes us to the second question about the role of rituals. This is it. Rituals have many layers to it. One is, for example, most people follow rituals very mechanically. Why? Because parents did it. If we ask parents, why do you do it? Our parents did it. Why your parents did it? Well, we have learnt it. Now, you know, nobody really knows why people are doing whatever they are doing. And their mother broke many such rituals. For instance, when women would ask mother, mother, during our periods, can we come and see you? Because, you know, it's believed that not to go to a temple. So mother says, do not mix up rules of hygiene with spiritual life. Of course, you can do everything, including play sports and come and see me. So there are certain things which are rules of hygiene and we can understand them. So there are behind many rituals simply uh, temporary aspects, temporal, which have no sense anymore. And when we continue to do it, these rituals become absurd. Like it's alright in desert to climb up a big tower and call God. But it's, if you do it in the middle of a sprawling city, where everybody is sleeping quietly and peacefully, it's horrible. <laughs> you don't do that. And when Kabir Das spoke about it, very beautifully in one of his couplets, he says in Hindi first, Kakar Pathar Jodkar Masjid Lai Banai Ta Chadhi Mulla Bang De Kya Behra Hua Khudai He says, you know, gathering some brick and mud, you have built a temple dedicated to God and you climb on top of it and shout, is he deaf that you have to do it? And they were after Kabir. So Kabir had to... <laughs> he was very bold and forthright, you know, in speaking. But it's a ritual, try telling it and see, you will be chased by all kinds of, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so this is there, there are rituals which had a meaning when they originated in a certain place. And they have lost their meaning and to continue to perpetuate them is to continue to perpetuate slavery to darkness and ignorance. And spirituality is about freedom. It's not about slavery or new forms of slavery. Then there are rituals which have symbolic significance. You know, they are part of the tantra where, you know, ritual is part of it. And they are beautiful symbols. Get the symbol and leave the ritual aside. So when we do, you know, 
tikka and you know agarbatti and light lamp this it has its own beauty and it's a symbol that how beautifully mother puts it in her prayer that my aspiration goes straight to the like the uh, smoke of the perfumes of india now you know see immediately turns this act of lighting an agarbatti to lighting of an inner aspiration in ashram i think some of us who have seen the collective meditation at night how beautiful it is when they light up the agarbatti then you can see those little points literally you feel that these are like souls aspiring near the divine so this is one kind of ritual which is there to teach us something and it is part of our duty to tell our younger generation if at all we are doing it why we are doing it but leave them free to do it or not do it it's okay the symbol is important light the inner lamp that's more important than lighting the outer lamp sometimes you know when people light it because there are in some places formality that lamp lighting ceremony on all kinds of you know politicians and crooked people i'm sorry to club them together but you know uh, <laughs> they come and light and they are vying who is going to light first because that also becomes a prestige issue <laughs> so and if somebody lights and it goes off then you know the person is very unhappy it's a bad omen come on it's it's nothing to do you know it's some simple breeze and it's fine this and sometimes they show it very dramatically in a movie that you know there is a lamp which is burning and somebody whose last breath is going on and the lamp goes and the breath goes <laughs> this is it's all right it's a symbol it's don't connect the two this is or rather connected in the true way lighting an outer lamp is fine but much more important is lighting the inner lamp what narada read from savitri in moments when the inner lamps are lit if this lamp is not lit what's the point of lighting the outer lamp 10 100000 times it doesn't make a meaning at all so there are rituals which are symbolic and there are plenty of them don't we don't need not speak about them because it's a whole field in itself then there are rituals which have an occult meaning there are for instance flowers that can be charged you know people who pick up tulsi leaf from ashram for me it's my daily vitamin dose which is one thing which i miss when i come out it's my daily vitamins so every time i pick it up it's my own ritual devotion offered to the ah now i'll be fine <laughs> so <laughs> faith <laughs> finally it is faith that cures and yes mother used to charge these things so when she gave a blessing packet it was not just merely perpetuating a, a ritual but there was within in it an occult significance like in tantra they charge a murti before doing the puja it is called as pran pratishtha so you know when a idol is there it is charged with a uh, deity and depending on the power of the priest one can invoke the deity and then for as many days as the deity is kept there invoked by the both the priest and those who are you know with their faith approaching the deity then through that image of stone you can get in touch with the deity who is within shobindo speaks about it in that lovely poem the world mother where he had that vision of kali when he bowed before that uh, you know chandod the temple on the banks of narmada he sees the world mother so it's very fascinating then there are rituals which are deeply spiritual in their meaning but provided it is invested with this aspiration without this aspiration it's again meaningless 
And we have lovely examples for that. For ex example, one ritual, it's not a ritual obviously, but the mother says three characteristic ways of surrender to the divine. And one of them she says, laying down completely at his feet and opening each part of your body and saying, I am yours, I am yours, I am yours. Now, this is a beautiful way. Now, there you are physically bowing down. She says it's accompanied by this gesture of physically stretching oneself. Now, this is a ritual we do use. But it can serve a purpose if done with a spiritual intent or may not. Now, there is the story of how on one hand, with Sri when Champak Lalji bowed at his feet, for a long time he was lost and Sri stood there. Just as, you know, maybe an hour or so, I am told, and Sri just stood there. He did not move. But somebody else who did the same thing, Sri just walked away. Can't turn it into a rule. Another example of Jaya Devi who, you know, when she came to ashram, came from a Bengali background, and she wanted to, um, she said, you know, I am missing the prayer of Durga because, you know, Bengalis are very attached to Durga. And he said, can I worship you as Ma Durga and him as Param Shiva? So the mother asked Shurabindu and they consented. So they sat on the chair and she worshipped them, putting all those red alta and flowers of Java and everything, garlanding. And they sat through and then went away. Next year again she wanted to do it and next year again and then once mother said, Do you think a divine being ever likes all this? <laughs> now she was not Durga but Kali. <laughs> I mean it's okay, first time she missed and all that was there and you know, you do it with that bhava that I am missing the deity whom I have loved so far and the divine consents to becoming that deity. But if you turn it into, the, into a, you know, way of life, then the divine also breaks that. So, that also reminds us how difficult it is to in fact impossible and one should not even try to do it. Turn any of the mother's actions or words into an absolute dogma. It is very very dangerous because her ways of dealing with one person and how subtle scriptural truths can be. When she gave a message start eating meat. So people should not say, oh mother has told we should start eating meat. It is also true that the mother became a vegetarian and remained so. And once when, you know, she was being given chicken soup, she said, no, no, I can't take it. It, it had all gone out of a system. And then Champak Lalji made such a sweet gesture. Mother, if I were the chicken, I would like to be slaughtered hundred times to be fed to you. <laughs> and then thanks to Champak Lalji, she tasted it. Now, you see, in that freedom, you are really bound to nothing. It's a fact that you are free. Freedom is not just a conditional freedom. Otherwise, it won't be freedom at all. Savitri goes on to that extent to say, what is that freedom which cannot hug the bonds that tie you? It can go to that extent that it can choose to be bound. Look at Krishna. When people ask that, you know, is there a way Mahabharata war can be averted? So, Sahadev, the wise one, says, yes, there are three ways you can do it. One is cut off, drop these hairs, kill Bhima and tie Krishna. He said, first two you can do but third is impossible. The last we know is that Duryodhana tried it and look what happened. So Krishna says, no you can do it but you don't have that threat to do it for me. What is it? By love you can tie me. So divine chooses to be tied. 
what is you know so we cling to all these things but the central thing even in rituals we have to pick up that otherwise they will become meaningless mother says some people do their meditation as a ritual that you know it's amazing sometimes in ashram you see very nice interesting sight you know there has to be humor around the divine so somebody sits bolt straight does lot of pranayama opens the watch keeps right in front and meditates so i wonder how does he come to know i mean you can't be seeing your watch every 5 minutes that look how much is the time so i am told that at the end one sees how much time one has meditated so why you want to compare that whether i meditated for half an hour or half a minute what matters is the genuineness with which you meditated as long as you are meditating with that genuineness it's a way to come in touch with the divine it's not like you know the divine takes note okay two hours he sat more merit somebody who sat for two minutes he is one of my cast away disciples that's not how it is so rituals i believe every one of us should have some rituals because they are a way that the physical body can participate in the process but it should be individual and it should be supple and it should be evolutionary ready for evolutionary change that's how it should be like there was a time when if i didn't light an agarbatti every day morning i felt something was missing and the divine tried to break this habit in a strange way and i still did not understand it's a very strange experience let me share it so you know once the agarbatti's got over and i felt miserable oh my god i should have got them and this is in pune so i should have got them from pondicherry why didn't plan all these you know my stock got over and i didn't notice it so i had to go that day evening to one of the disciples place where we used to have study circle and i said he must be having it and sure enough he didn't have it so i said where do i get it there was no center no outlet said no there is no place here where as far as i know you can get agarbattis from the ashram but maybe you can try there is some couple of agarbatti shop on the way down you can try so with a heavy heart i am walking that path and i see two shops i go inside ashram they had agarbatti but nothing ashram agarbatti another shop no agarbattis so i am literally cursing myself see what a strong habit this was and as i move further i suddenly feel an urge to look behind so i look behind and i suddenly see on the pavement that i walk through there is a man sitting with a big you know what is called as bori in hindi i don't know what's called in english mat mat jute mat or whatever mat mat with samagarbatti so this something i wonder how i have passed i have just crossed this road so i go back to him an old man god knows from where poor man and all the agarbattis on his mat were ashram agarbattis so i i am overwhelmed so i started asking him about you know ashram and all he seemed to be not interested in answering any question as if somebody had planted him there like a machine to sell these agarbattis to me so then i said okay all you will give me because i felt there is some kind of a language barrier he said kitna rupya how much 400 rupees i still so i gave it he was ready to give the bori also <laughs> but anyways i had a bag and put it and walked away then i i'm wondering who is this man again i look back this man is not there i mean i i believe and i have reasons to believe that this is one 
moment when the divine materialized somebody literally for the stupid disciples or child's you know satisfaction but then subsequently i discovered that you know i don't feel the necessity to really light agarbatti so he did a surgical operation also inside now if i light the agarbatti i feel uncomfortable i feel he's not a photo and a frame maybe this agarbatti would you know the 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 smoke he may not like it because sometimes i feel that if the smoke is too much i feel like coughing so what if his the lord's you know throat is getting irritated he is not telling us anything now i am giving this example <laughs> that rituals can evolve rituals have a meaning at one point of time they would connect me directly at another point of time they would not connect also they are individualized so there are people who don't light agarbattis because they feel they are living and agarbattis are supposed to be lit before people who are no more there but some light because they believe yes they are divine and we light agarbattis before god and it's perfectly fine either which ways at the same time we should not get so tied to a ritual that we lose the truth behind it so it's all right if we bow down like this and surrender as long as it is not a show of surrender because one thing if the divine does not like which i mean the way i have understood is sham and show one thing which he really does not like is hypocrisy and artificiality to be what we are genuine like little children before the mother children come running mother i have got dirt on my hands oh show me she picks up the super rinse soap with 1000 volt current and cleans us dry puts us nice shower out go to play this is a relation with the divine that we can form not that covering all these things where you know we are dirty with nice nice satin clothes and going see mother how clean i am how saintly how beautiful mother i am sure you must be impressed with my saintliness and she would just lift up that sleeve and show us i know you are very clean but have you noticed this this is the process of yoga the time to time when the infinite shakti works when we start we all believe we are little saints already in the queue of an elite club saints in the making or yogis on the borderland of nirvana straight away but there is much that you know is there between the cup and the lip we have even when the nectar of immortality is given in our hands we are not yet ready to drink it all kinds of things will come is it really nectar or is it by any chance poison you know when mother would give and this is a fact mother would pour her physical being into the soup and the disciples would drink it and one disciple with a medical knowledge or medical ignorance suddenly says but this is unhygienic and shurbindo said under his breath brutes and stop the ceremony so you know this can happen the cup has been given to us right there the cup of immortality and between the cup in our hands and drinking it there are many many things that are bound to intervene all the forces of the world conspire to keep us away the hands tremble and shake thoughts come are we worthy divine is given in your hands drink it why do you question 
mind will start questioning am i worthy i am a sinner i am bad i am horrible no 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 i shouldn't drink it keep it aside intense heat to evaporate it doubts all kinds of things this path that's why it is difficult it's long it's not an easy path by any means should been the made no bones about it because he said there are three processes that the infinite shakti uses first is she works through a free and plastic way all kinds of things happen it's a real adventure mother use the word it's a real adventure to which i am inviting you no things happen which are not expected another question was for example that is there something i am just you know slightly rephrasing the question why do some disciples of shurbindo and the mother fall ill or have cancer and things like that well the divine very clearly shurbindo wrote much earlier in the present conditions of the world an absolute protection cannot be granted it's not possible because we are we love this lower nature in which we are caught there are other reasons of course many disciples take upon themselves the burden of the lord it's literally bearing the cross on their shoulders this this true that they take upon themselves bit of that work which the divine has undertaken they share it pavitra da was one of them nalini da was one of them i'm sure champaklal ji was one of them pavitra da and nalini da we know by direct words one of the mother and nalini da that why they fell ill champaklal ji also we know that he fell ill but in all likelihood something very similar took place that they take upon themselves karma of creation if we follow the path it's bound to happen the second reason is that at one level the disciple becomes more vulnerable than ordinary humanity and yesterday we heard about you know sadalu was speaking about how this interchange the other way is that as the ego thins out as narada was reading today we spread out ego in one sense is a protection it prevents us it closes us we just swallow our own poison but when the ego thins we swallow others poisons also we can't help it because the being is no more confined or caged this is one aspect of this yoga which is very very unique that we are all a representative type so our own difficulties get compounded by you know this difficulty is no more our own but a representative difficulty which we have to conquer for others so in this yoga some do the yoga and many enjoy the fruits and those who do the yoga are very few even in the ashram context the mother was asked mother said oh there are just about 5% people doing the yoga what about others they are there to give the experience of the world to those who are doing yoga but they also receive the prasad in the process because everybody is participating in the process in one way or the other so in this yoga there is this other dimension of being a representative humanity it is very challenging and very engaging every little victory we win over ourselves is a victory gets that gets translated into the world people often ask that oh what are you doing for the world what is the ashram doing for the world some people come looking for free hospitals free uh, you know school for the poor 
handicapped, etc., etc. No. Those things humanity has done and there are people who do it. But there are things which humanity has not done and cannot do it. Which has been conceived by Mother and Shurabindo and the ashram is a place or a laboratory for that purpose. It's not a place for, you know, it's not an orphanage. Rather it's a refuge for the lost. To put it in another way. Because merely being physically orphaned is not necessarily a disadvantage. But being spiritually orphaned is worse. To believe that I have everybody and to forget the one. So it's a refuge for the lost. People go from everywhere and they are each accepted, then given a work. And this is how this yoga goes on. So this infinite Shakti doesn't work in a way that the human mind wants it to work. Shivindu uses the word in a free and scattered way. Now here, now there, touching different parts. At one place, Mother compared it to the eagle's vision. How an eagle sees things together, all the coordinates. She would touch this, touch that, not just you know things which are very nice in us. When Mother went to see a department and the disciple had kept everything spick and span and clean, except a cupboard where everything was thrust inside. And she goes straight there and opens it. And everything tumbles out of the closet. Mother, how did you know? Oh, they were calling me. <laughs> so, when we go to the divine, we have to be very, very, very careful. So many instances I know of people, you know, sadhaks who went to mother and how difficult it was to bear that flame. One particular person who had some, you know, would every night after coming to the ashram for the first time, started getting nightmares. Every night he would see rakshasas and pishachas dancing on his chest and threatening him and he would be frightened. And every morning he will go and say, Mother, I am feeling so much fear. And Mother would not say anything. And he would go back and the night, same thing is repeated again. (laughs) He himself told me this. He said, this continued for 15 days and I didn't know what to do. So ultimately I said, Mother, I can't stay here like this. The mother's reply is not that, oh, is it my child? You know, she would say that also. But she said, if you are so much afraid, you cannot do yoga, go away from here. He doesn't know, you know, this. (laughs) I have to make a choice to see these ghosts every night. But he wants to do yoga. She said, no, no, Mother, I'll continue. So he stopped saying to the mother and the ghost continued. And one day they stopped and he developed something else. A very painful boil on the feet. And then he doesn't know what to do. Again he went to the mother. Mother, I have got a boil. So he says, mother looked at the boil with such piercing eyes. He felt that the whole thing started scorching and burning. Just with that look. And if it remained only up to the boil, it's fine. His whole body was on fire. And he said, I burned as if in the heat of hell and it continued continued and he did just didn't know what to do so after 72 hours he goes and tells the mother mother my whole body is burning she says go back to home see now he doesn't know finally he decided no no I think I should go so he and at the same time mother arranged everything for him to go back so there is somebody who comes who accompanies and he says as I reached Chennai 
50% of my burning went away. As he reached near his hometown, 75% went away and within 24 hours of going to his hometown, everything went away. But of course he understood fortunately the process of yoga and he became one of the very beautiful disciples of the mother who did a lot of beautiful work. But there are people who get frightened. It is very hard to bear. Mortality bears ill the eternal touch because it uncovers us. It's one thing to say the mother, mother and mother Shakti. She uncovers everything, ruthlessly lays bare so that they may change. But we can't, don't want to see it. But she has to do it. Everything that is hidden inside comes up. Like the poison before the Amrit. And this is so true in individual life and collective life. And one has to go through it. And during that process, if we don't have faith and endurance, he used to, again, two things the mother would emphasize. Faith and endurance. Then it's very difficult for us to take it. So in the present conditions of the world, a lot of our being still owes allegiance to the darkness. We live as it were in a lower network of forces. There are two nets, network of forces. I don't know, I can't even connect to this Wi-Fi network. But anyways, probably my phone doesn't have a black slash. But you know, we, we have an option to connect to this network or another network. Naturally, by default, we are programmed to the lower network of forces. And if the divine smashes it, we would collapse. That's why it's a slow process. It's more like extricating a bird out of a bush, thorny bush. Because if the divine does it violently, the wings will get bruised and bleed. With some people, she does it the way of Mahakali. And they delight in it. But they are very rare exceptions who have complete faith in the mother. Do it for me, mother. But with most, she is more gentle and patient because she knows. So it takes time. In that process, many things happen. Yes, death, destruction, madness, all kinds of things are part of the adventure. Disease. But then, we get worried if we look only at a small temporary formation in time and space. This little puppet which we call as me. And we question the divine. Why did this happen to me? And somebody said so beautifully when I think one of those cyclists uh, Tour de France, he had cancer and they asked him. He said, you know, I have been blessed with so much fortune. I never questioned God. <laughs> but now when I have this, why should I question? It's part of the play. So, you know, we have to take it in its stride. This is part of the play. Things come. It doesn't matter. It's the body which may break to pieces. It's okay. But something else is there which is safe. Look at the attitude of Nishtha, who went all the way from here. Uh, President uh, Roosevelt's daughter. Yeah. And, yeah? Wilson, Woodrow Wilson's daughter. Yes. Thanks. So, Woodrow Wilson's daughter. And Shubindu gave the name Nishtha. Margaret Wilson. And he gave the name Nishtha. And Nishtha had anyways a weak body because she had suffered a lot during the First World War, nervous breakdown. And then she suffered with kidney damage, this, that, and during those days. So she was asked that, look, uh, why don't you come back? 
the fleet came during the Second World War to pick her up and bring her back because India was unsafe. And she particularly was very unsafe because of her illnesses. And what a reply she gives. Yes, yes, I know you will take better care of my body. But who will take care of my soul? This is the attitude of the sadhak. Maybe physical conditions may be better somewhere else. It's true. But there is something else called the soul within us. And that's what I was sharing yesterday night also. That Abhimanyu dies. But Abhimanyu becomes immortal by his death. This is the beauty of the divine. Ashwatthama lives forever. But Ashwatthama only immortalizes his suffering and pain. Better to die in the service of the divine than to live a hundred, two hundred years in the company of Lanka Raj Ravana. So this is the choice that we have to make at some point. It may happen because at this point of time, by default, we are living in the lower network. And slowly we have to tune ourselves to the higher network of forces. Every part in us has to gradually tune in, program. We are not ready to receive those vibrations, those signals of eternity. When they come into the system, there is a lot of noise generated. All that we will speak about maybe tomorrow or today afternoon, I don't know. When, you know, how to tune in different aspects of our nature to the divine. And it's a very, very slow and demanding process, exacting process. But meanwhile, there is something which is available to us. In fact, before that, another one more question which we have left is shocks and blows and tragedies, young deaths. Of course, it is painful, very painful to see a young child die. It's equally painful, sometimes even more painful to see that child grow up into adulthood and follow the ways of the world's poison. There are so many ways sorrows and blows strike us and none is exempt. It's not the only tragedy that strikes us, many ways. And that is precisely the reason why Shurabindu wants to bring the supramental down or brought the supermind down. This world is not an ideal place. To believe it's an ideal place is to live in some kind of a chimera. We try to make philosophies to make it look like an ideal place. No, world is wonderful. God has created everything very good. So why there is evil and suffering? You did a sin, therefore you are suffering. What sin has a 12-year-old done or a 13-year-old done? And even if he did it, why in next life? Why not instantly? It's absurd. We try to justify things. And we are very happy, neatly justifying. Divine is free of all this. This is purely our karma rolling on. So what was the soul's original karma? There are many questions connected to it, which we need not go into now, because it's long in itself a whole subject. But one thing is sure, this world is not an ideal place. Death strikes at will. Diseases abound. We only exchange names of diseases. So swine flu goes away. And some other flu comes. We just do that. More hospitals, more doctors, more medicine, more research, and more diseases. That's all. That's all we are doing constantly. So Shurabindu and the mother want to change these things. They are not happy. And all of us who feel the misery, whether at an individual or a collective level, are invited to participate in this yoga. This is not a yoga of personal nirvana. I am in bliss and I am fine. 
It's the most selfish thing that one can do. It's perhaps better not to follow anything and just do good to human beings. But to follow the aim of a personal mukti or a God who will just grant me things for my safety while the world continues to roll on just as it is, is to lead a wretched life. A very, very egoistic, selfish life. So what if it is nirvana and bliss? What is the use of such a nirvana and bliss when the divine struggles and suffers in the toil and dust of this earth? So this is the difference of attitude. And Shobindra and the mother spent all their life, their tapasya, their sadhana, only to make sure that this earth can become a beautiful place. And such tragedies, such blows, such disorder and chaos as we see rampant should not happen. Will we see it in our own lifetime? How does it matter? At least there is hope, there is a possibility. We can take it. It may take 1000 years, 10,000 years, but there is a possibility. Before Shirobindo, this possibility was not even envisaged. What were the options? Lead a life of the world or Mukti. At the end of even people who talk about Gita glibly, they end up talking about Mukti. Big lectures on Vedanta, Swami is going all around. At the end of it, Mukti, my salvation. What is the use of that? Shubindo says, no, we must change the scheme of things entire. And it's possible to change it. And the time is now. And all of us who feel the call for the change are invited for this great adventure. But before we end, just I'll take three, four minutes. Something very beautiful. There is lot of things, beautiful things on the way which await our discovery and something, you know, which came up yesterday. So the disciple asked the mother, I often wonder when one prays to the Lord, when one wants to tell him that something's wrong. I always feel it's necessary to concentrate very hard because it's really something far you have to call. But is this true? And the mother says, it depends on us. Personally, you know, I have come to feel him everywhere. All the time, all the time. To the point of actual physical contact. Now one may say, mother, okay, fine, you are feeling it, what about us? She is telling us so that we can meditate on this great truth. That's how the rishis realize these great truths. Sarva Bhuteshu Chatmanang Tatona Vijukupsati. When we meditate on these great truths, Yasmin Sarvani Bhutani, then we rise to that plane of consciousness. We can also begin to feel Him everywhere. In the air, in people, like this, because He is here, you know, He is everywhere. He is far, only if we think He is far. Of course, when we start thinking of all the zones, all the universal planes of consciousness, and that he is way, way, way up there at the end of all that, well, then it does become very far, very far indeed. So we, we have to make a choice whether we want to place him there or we want to bring him near to the heart. The master of man and his infinite lover, he is close to our hearts, had we vision to see. But why don't we see him? We are 
bound by our thoughts where we hold ourselves free and our pomp and our passions in which we are lost but if we think of him as being everywhere in everything that he is everything that only our way of perceiving things keeps us from seeing and feeling him and all we have to do is this mother turns her hands inwards a movement like this a movement like that then it gets to be quite concrete concrete you go like this and everything becomes artificial hard dry false deceptive artificial you go like that inward gesture and all is vast tranquil luminous peaceful immense joyous and it's merely this how where it can't be described but it is solely a movement of consciousness i foresee a time when it will no longer be necessary to be aware of the mask the mask will be so thin that we can see and feel and act through it the mask of our personality the mask of this world the mask of events circumstances but this presence in all things it is a vibration a vibration containing everything a vibration containing a sort of infinite power infinite joy infinite peace and immensity 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 it's boundless oh lord it can't be thought so it can't be described if you think as soon as you start thinking it's the same old mess again is it really that close is it possible it's the same old mess indeed you know we have made yoga so difficult the divine wants to make it easy no 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 you have to do it this way brand yoga x brand yoga y otherwise you can't come to me as the guru another person says no 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 i am more qualified he is everywhere in everything indeed he is far because you think he is far if you could just you know think of him being right here like this touching you if you could feel this it's not like touching another person it's not like that it's not something foreign external coming to you from outside no it's everywhere and you feel him everywhere 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 within without everywhere him nothing but him him his vibration one is reminded of the ishupanishad tadejati tannejati tadure taduvantike tadantarasya sarvasya yadu sarvasya asya bahiyat that which is within that which is outside that which is far that which is near and everything and everywhere there is nothing but that but one thing she reminds us but you have to shut this off the head until you shut it off you can't see the true thing you can only use comparisons you say it's like this 
or like that. And yet there is a smile and a look and mother laughs. You can't help saying, yes, Lord, I am stupid. So beautiful. Yes, Lord, I am stupid. Lord, I know all about you. I have read all the Vedantic scriptures. Wait outside. Lord, I know nothing. I am nothing. I can do nothing. Come, come, come. Close to my heart. This is the last line. Yes, Lord, I am stupid. But he laughs and you laugh and you are happy. That's it. We will stop here and meet after the tea break.